welcome back to the Balls, Buckets, and Bull podcast. I'm your host, Joey Morales. Joining me again is Ryan Lim. How you doing, man? Dude, I'm good. Blacked in this morning after sips. Uh, the city is not going to kill me yet. I will let it try a couple more times, though. <laughs> All right. So we got Ryan back for another division breakdown. Today, we're going to talk about the AFC South. And the first thing we're going to talk about is the Texans, who last year went 9-7. and seven. They had first-round pick Deshaun Watson, quarterback out of Clemson. Obviously, they lose Brocky Osweiler in the offseason. So we're going to talk about the quarterback situation really quick. Last year, Tom Savage in the three games he played threw for 461 yards, completed 63% of his passes, no touchdowns and no interceptions. You know, I really think his role is to just start the season and keep this offense up to speed until Deshaun Watson is ready to take over. I think he's like a poor quarterback in an offense that really wants to run the ball. So I don't even think I would consider Savage uh, you know, to draft him. I think really the only topic worth debating is if he can get DeAndre Hopkins the ball, which I think he can, but probably not to the extent that Hopkins would like. What do you think about that quarterback situation, Ryan? Uh, I think it should be illegal f- to use Tom Savage in any fantasy league. I think he's going to be that bad. I mean, this guy is just a textbook game manager. Yeah, he had a pretty good preseason game yesterday, but I don't think he's going to be able to throw to his receivers. I mean, DeAndre Hopkins is a beast, but he's going to be throwing to Jalen Strong probably with Will Fuller out. I probably only see him as like a bye week replacement if he's even starting by your bye week. I would stay away from him. Totally agree. So let's talk about his main receiving option, DeAndre Hopkins. Last year, 78 receptions, 954 yards, four touchdowns. Osweiler really took his toll on him and turned him from the number four wide receiver in scoring all the way down to 27th. Even if Savage isn't an all-star, I don't think he can do much worse. And for the 25-year-old Hopkins, I think that means it adds a lot to his value. Personally, I would draft him around wide receiver 20, but that's a lot lower than his uh, wide receiver 13 ADP. What do you think about DeAndre Hopkins' season and how high would you draft him, Ryan? I mean, it really depends on who's throwing to him. I mean, I, I don't really see a huge difference between the Brock Lobster and Tom Savage. So I think he's going to be about the same as he was last year. I just don't think that the quarterback is going to be able to get him the ball. Now, if Deshaun Watson is back there, maybe. But we don't know what Deshaun Watson is. So that's like it's a risky pick for DeAndre Hopkins if you're looking for elite production. No kidding. So the other option that should have been there is Wolf Fuller. Obviously, he broke his collarbone and it'll keep him out till November. You know, it's kind of a shame because I was pretty excited myself to see how he would do in his second year of this offense. At, uh, at this point, I'm pretty he's pretty much undraftable in many leagues unless you have like an IR spot rule. Um, perhaps Braxton Miller can slip in, but it remains to be seen. So let's talk about Lamar Miller in this running game. Last year, he rushed for 1,073 yards, had four yards per carry. Five touchdowns and the receiving game, 31 receptions, 188 yards and one touchdown. You know, he kind of struggled to become the every down back that so many people he thought he could, so many people thought he could be, you know, when he was in Miami, he had a career low in yards per carry. You know, his offense, I think though, will stay secure. And personally, I'd pick him up around uh, running back 12 to 14. What do you think, Ryan? Where would you pick him? Uh, if Tom Savage is starting the season, I definitely think Lamar Miller's value is going to be increased because um, they're not going to let him air it out. They're probably going to let Savage throw it maybe 22 times max a game. So Lamar Miller, they're going to have to lean on him. And whenever Tom Savage, like a lot of their his receptions are going to come from Tom Savage. He is not a competent quarterback. He's going to be checking down to Lamar Miller at every opportunity he has. My only worry is poor Lamar Miller stuck with a rookie behind him again. Jay Ajahi basically stole the job from Miami, and now he's in Houston, and Deontay Foreman may steal it from him. I don't know. Yep. 
Yep, very true. All right, so all my Houston friends out there, all my Houston fans, uh, be prepared because I'm about to drop a bad bomb on you. My prediction for this team, Jeff Fisher style, 8-8. Eight and eight. I just don't see this defense capable of carrying this team to a winning season, much less a playoff berth. Um, unless the rest of the division crumbles as well, which I guess it could because the Colts and Andrew Luck's score, uh, health situation and the Jags are always terrible, but don't see a playoff berth at this team. How far do you think this team goes, Ryan? Uh, I mean, I think they finished like 9-7 and seven for like I don't know how long. So I'm going to flip it around. I'm going to go 7-9. and nine. I just don't really see the offense being able to produce. They're going to keep games close, and thank God the AFC South is going to be kind of weak this year. But 7-9, and 8-8, eight and eight, yeah, that's that's about it. Yeah, I totally agree. All right, so let's talk about the Colts next, who also went 8-8 eight and eight last year. They had first-round pick Malik Hooker, uh, safety out of Ohio State. Let's talk about the quarterback, Andrew Luck. 4,240 yards last year, completed 63.5% of his passes, 31 touchdowns, 13 interceptions. Also had a decent running game, too. 341 rush yards, two touchdowns. He finished fourth in QB scoring, you know. So there is a lot of concern, and I'm going to start with the center. Ryan Kelly is out six to eight weeks, and the backup center is already on the PUP list. So that's not good for the entire Colts offense, you know. They were 20th in pass protection last year with those guys, so that's not good to see them out. You know, there's a lot of concern over this offensive line, not to mention concerns over Luck's injury history. He had postseason right-throwing shoulder surgery. He could potentially miss some early weeks. So, you know, a beat-up line blocking a quarterback who's coming off an injury is just not a bad, not, not a good combination. You know, but he does put up great passing numbers, and he also comes with a legitimate rushing ability. If you can stomach the risk, uh, you can get luck later in drafts now. Um, a lot of people are feeling the same nervousness. So, you know, if everything does run smoothly, he can definitely be one of the top three scorers in fantasy for quarterbacks. But personally, I don't like the risk, and I don't like how high you'd have to probably still draft him. But I'd still pick him around quarterback six or so. What do you think about Andrew Luck, Ryan? Poor Andrew Luck. I mean, like, the Colts just did not give him a line at all. Like, this is probably one of the worst lines in the NFL, and that's why he gets battered so much. That's why this guy is injured all the time. Honestly, he's he's an injury risk. If he's healthy and his line can protect him, he's nearly an elite quarterback. But that's a big if. Um, I would probably take him around quarterback six or seven, but you just got to go in there knowing that he may go down this year and, like, down for good. Yep, definitely true. So let's talk about his main receiving receiving option, T.Y. Hilton. Last year he had 91 receptions, 1,448 yards, six touchdowns. He led all receivers in receiving yards. Yes, all receivers. And he finished fifth in wide receiver scoring. You know, he too is impacted by the center concerns and concerns over Luck's health. He only averaged 63 yards a game in the 10 games Luck has missed dating back to 2015. You know, and that with Moncrief coming back healthy, who's always been stealing touchdowns. You know, who Moncrief himself also missed games last season. I think it makes T.Y. Hilton a little bit of a risky pick. I would be cautious with him. Um, and so as a result, I have him wide receiver 10 or lower uh, because of these uh, this new news. So where would you put T.Y. Hilton? Yeah, I would say he's just outside of the top 10. I would say maybe 20 through 10 and he would be in there. Um, it really depends if Andrew Luck can stay healthy. Um, if like Scott Tolzien is throwing to him, his fantasy value is going to plummet. 
But T.Y. Hilton has always been consistent. He will get the receptions. He's not the possession receiver that's going to get 12 receptions a game, but he will go like five to six catches for like 120 yards and two touchdowns. He totally has that factor with him. And it just depends if he can get that long ball to him or not. Yeah, totally agree. So let's talk about the other receiver, Dante Moncrief. 30 receptions, 307 yards, seven touchdowns. He led the team in receiving uh, touchdowns despite missing nearly seven games. You know, I think he is super touchdown dependent for scoring. The mo- uh, He had the most amount of receptions in a game uh, was six, and he never reached over 65 yards in any of his games. So, you know, with, to- with the toe-, toe, shoulder, and hamstring injuries, keeping him off the field and a ton of usage red flags, I personally wouldn't draft him like, you know, before wide receiver 40. And he's one of those rare receivers where it's actually better to draft him in non PPR versus PPR. So do you think Moncrief has a better season than last year, Ryan? I I think he's going to bounce back. I mean, he was injured a lot last year and he is the second option receiving option in this offense. Now Um, I actually have him as one of my sleepers. I think that if he can stay healthy, if Andrew Luck can stay healthy, he's, he will get the ball. I mean, Andrew Luck is going to have to throw it because Gore, he's turning 34 and he's getting a little old. Uh, What else are they going to do to put up points? They're going to have to throw it. Very true. So let's talk about the tight end, Jack Doyle, 59 receptions, 584 yards, five touchdowns. He finished 13th in tight end scoring. You know, now that Dwayne Allen is off the team, I think he's going to see much more snaps and targets. And I think he can become, oh, he did become a good red zone look for luck to throw to. So if this offense can stay healthy, I think he can score a lot of points and it's, and he's going to be out there for on the field for a lot of red zone and goal line snaps. You know, I think he has a great chance to score touchdowns. If, you know, if you're waiting to get a tight end, you know, really late in drafts, I think he can be a good pickup that'll give you, you know, touchdown upside most weeks that other tight ends just don't have. So let's talk about the running game. Oh, you wanted to talk about Jack Doyle. Go ahead, Ryan. No, Jack Doyle is one of my big sleepers this year. I mean, like whenever he got the starting job over Dwayne Allen, he was on fire. And I think Andrew Luck is going to be scrambling around with that shitty line in front of him. He's going to have to check down to somebody. And if it's not Gore, it's going to be Doyle. And I think Doyle is going to finish with at least 70, 80 receptions this year. It's going to be it's going to be a good year for a tight end. Yeah, for sure. All right, so let's talk about the main, uh, the running game. Frank Gore, last year, 1,025 yards, 3.9 yards per carry, four touchdowns. And reception game, 38 receptions, 277 yards, four touchdowns. He finished 12th in running back scoring. And the 34-year-old um, has dodged father time so far, having not missed a game since 2010. You know, and he had a good season overall, but, you know, he only rushed for over 100 yards in two games. And he had a low yards per carry as well to go with that and a low yards after contact. You know, if he can still get the volume that he needs to be productive, I think he should be an okay flex option, but definitely not a sexy pick and one that doesn't come with any upside at all. Um, what do you think about Gore for this season, Ryan? I mean, he's he's like not even a solid running back too. I mean, he he technically falls in there, but I see this line going to be pushed backwards a lot, and that's going to really bump into Gore. And he is turning 34. That is ancient, ancient for being in the NFL and getting hit that much and the amount of carries that they gave him. He's going to need a ton of carries to hit 1,000 yards again. For sure. So my prediction for this team, if Luck doesn't miss any games, I think they can go about nine and seven. If he, if he even misses one game or more, I think they go eight and eight, eight and eight or worse. You know, bad line just just does not make for a playoff team. So how far do you think the Colts go, Ryan? Uh, I I'm gonna go seven and nine here. Um, I think Andrew Luck is at least gonna miss four games this year, and I'm just wow. gonna call those losses. 
Like, because with Scott Tolzien or whoever they throw out there, I think there's no way this team can compete without him. Oh, yeah, for sure. If 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 Luck's not out there, they're not winning football games. Oh, so. absolutely. Let's talk about the main dumpster fire in this division, the Jags, who last year went 3-13. and They had first-round pick Leonard Fournette running back out of LSU. So we're going to talk about the quarterback situation, and if you, if you can even call it that, it's more of a disaster. Um, right now it's between Blake Bortles and Chad Henney. Last year, Bortles threw for 3,905 yards, completed 58.9% of his passes, 23 touchdowns to 16 interceptions, 359 yards on the ground, three touchdowns running too. You know, he actually finished eighth in QB scoring, which is just pretty surprising to me considering how poor he was just to the eye test. Um, Currently, obviously, he's battling Chad uh, Chad Henney for the job, and he's looked awful. Um, The Jazz head coach, Doug Marone, says the job is open and it's not sold on Bortles. Uh, you know, for real life, it's it's really looking like Bortles is an absolute bust. You know, now the team is looking like they want to completely change the style of the game they wanted to play. You know, they want to switch to more run heavy and limit pass attempts. You know, many believe Bortles' attempts will go down, and so will his garbage time stats, which is what inflated his production. You know, I think Bortles is likely undraftable at this stage, considering he it may lose the job. And for this next preseason game, they've already come and said that Henny's going to start versus the Panther Panthers. Now, while that could be like a, you know, Hey, it's your last chance to Blake Bortles. Um, it's still just a nasty situation, but what do you think about this dumpster fire, Ryan? Um, I, as a, as a Jets fan, this is awesome. I'm so happy that somebody else has an awful quarterback situation. And this is making me feel a lot older than I thought I was because I, I remember the day to where I thought like, hey, this Blake Bortles guy isn't that bad. And then the Jaguars Jaguared and now he's Blake Bortles. Um, it, it really depends. I mean, they're not going to let whoever is the quarterback throw. They've already said that. They got Leonard Fournette for a reason. So, I mean, like, even if Bortles is the starter, I can't see him throwing more than 24 times a game, which is really going to limit his production. And if Chad Henney out, is out there, I mean, we know what Chad Henney is. Like, if I had to make a sleeper pick, I think Brandon Allen is actually going to start a game or two. This is how bad their situation is. And Brandon Allen looked amazing last night in preseason. So, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, and you know, with how bad it is, you really think that they would have given Colin Kaepernick a, a call. You know, he had, just hasn't gotten a job yet. Um, this looked like the most likely landing spot based off of need, but it's probably too late at this point. You know, he won't be able to learn the playbook in time. You know, uh, so often people call learning a playbook like learning a new language. And with only two weeks, less than two weeks, I believe, till the start of the season, it just doesn't seem like it's it would be fair or justice to call Ka- Kaepernick at this point. Well, you know, I, I was saying the exact same thing. This would be the perfect landing spot for Kaepernick. I mean, like with Fournette back there, you could make this a read option offense so quickly. Allen Robinson, he can run over the top. Marquise Lee can run slants like anybody's business. Like this would be the perfect read option situation. Yeah. But- no. Yeah, and the Cowboys also seem like they could use his talents because the backup position is just horrible as well. But, you know, Jerry Jones has been outspoken that he does not support players sitting or kneeling during the anthem. And, you know, frankly, if Jerry don't like you, you ain't going to be on the team. So uh, did you see that story really, really quick? Did you see that story that Tony Romo named his kid like Jones uh, Walker Romo or something? like? Yeah, that? I, I know his first that. name is Jones. Jones Romo. Jones Romo. Jesus. Unbelievable. All right, so let's talk about Allen Robinson, the main receiving option. Last year, he uh, caught 73 balls, 883 yards, receiving six touchdowns. He finished 25th in wide receiver scoring. I think he's handcuffed by this QB situation. Um, He could produce another season like he did in 2015, but 
He only caught one of 24 passes of 20 yards or more after catching 15 of 43 in 2015. So, you know, with, with like we just been talking about, the expectations that the Jags will again try to become more of a grinded out team that runs the ball, it raises further concerns. You know, a boomer bust pick, honestly, in my opinion, that he's going around wide receiver 15. I personally pick around wide receiver 19. What would you, what do you think, Ryan? Yeah, it's really hard to trust the situation because it's just so quarterback dependent. And after I fell in love with Robinson in 2015, I got burned by him last year. And he just looked awful in the deep game. That was Marquise Lee had a little better luck there, but that was supposed to be Allen Robinson's meal ticket. Like, it really just depends on who's throwing to him, but I, I don't know. I He's like a wide receiver too, but I don't really trust him. I, I don't know. Yeah. You know, what I will say, you know, before we get off this passing game is that every, I don't know, pretty much every year it's the Jags are going to be better defensively. They're going to be, they're going to be in games more. There's going to be less garbage time. They're going to want to run the ball more. And what do we say every year? They're terrible. They're awful. And they're down three touchdowns before halftime and they've got to throw it a lot. So, you know, they say this almost every year. It feels like that the Jags are going to be better, but so it's just it's just a lot of risk around here. I just don't really like anyone outside of the next player we're going to talk about. So, and that next player we are going to talk about is Leonard Fournette, who's the he was the fourth pick off the board, you know, which likely means the Jags want to run the ball heavily, like we've just been talking about. So he is crazy big. He's six feet, two hundred forty pounds, runs a four point five one forty. Um, I think the Jazz are honestly going to give him all the work he can handle. Uh, you know, while I don't think this offense will be able to take the ball down the field and score touchdowns, you know, that much, I think the volume alone he should merits him a top twelve running back off the board. So, what do you think of Leonard Fournette, Ryan? Honestly, he reminds me a lot of Maurice Jones-Drew, like the once Pro Bowl Jaguars running back. I mean, they're going to give the ball a lot to him. I'm going to see at least like 25 to 30 carries a game, not to mention at least probably three to four checkdowns. Like, I think he's going to be a major factor. I'm like falling in love with Fournette, and he can be in my stable and any fantasy team ever. Like, he is free pass. I think he's going to have a career year, well, first year, but he's going to have a great year. Like he, I, he, I think he may win rookie of the year if they give him the touches. Yeah, he definitely has a good shot at it. So I think my prediction for this team is four and twelve. Um, I, you, like I was saying before, almost everyone always seems to believe the Jags are going to be better each year, and I'm just, I'll believe it when I see it. So, uh, how many wins and losses do you think they get this year, Ryan? Uh, I think they go like five and eleven. You know, I think they steal one from the Texans probably, and they can figure out four other wins. All right, so let's talk about the last team, Titans, who last year went 9-7. and seven. You know, this is one of my more favorite teams to watch this year. They had first-round pick Corey Davis, wide receiver out of Western, Western Michigan. They also had Eric Decker in the offseason from your Jets. Um, let's talk about the quarterback, Marcus Mariota, 3,426 yards, 61.2 completion percentage, 26 touchdowns to 9 interceptions, 349 yards in the, in the rushing game, and two touchdowns to go along with that. He finished 13th in QB scoring, and even though he fractured a fibula and ankle in week 16 and had to miss those two weeks. So I think he's a potential breakout candidate who will be added by the additions of your boy Eric Decker and Corey Davis. Um, you know, this offense, I think, will be able to be effective and put up points. I like the ability of Mariota to run the ball, which I think helps his floor each week. He's one of my favorite quarterbacks to grab if I'm picking up late. I think he has a big season, a really big season, and I'd pick him around quarterback 10 and maybe even higher uh, depending on these uh, last two weeks. So what do you think about Marcus uh, Mario Otto, as Roger Goodell likes to say? 
Oh, no, dude. He is probably my favorite quarterback going in this year. I know we're in some leagues together, so I guess I'm going to have to reach for him a little bit. I, I've already accepted that. But, no, I mean, if he wasn't hurt last year, he would have been a lot better than the numbers show. And this year, he, his receiving core is the best the Titans have seen in a very, very long time. Not only that, but he can move the chains by his feet. Um, he has a cannon for an arm. I'm, I'm digging this offense. I'm digging Mariota. Me too. So let's talk about the one of the main additions, Eric Big Dick Decker. So last uh, 2016 season was ended with shoulder and hip injuries, known for his red zone and touchdown scoring abilities, though. I think he's going to make for a great target for Mariota to throw to. The Titans like to run the ball first, but I think Mariota has a big year, like I just said, and I think Decker could be the leading receiver for that. So I like him around wide receiver 30. He obviously has one of the hottest wives in the NFL. So, Ryan, what do you think about Big Dick Decker? And especially, what do you think about his wife? Uh, Well, Brooklyn's awesome. I feel like she's part of the family since Eric Decker's with the Jets for so long. But um, I I think Eric Decker is going to be awesome. Though, I will say they're probably going to slot him in as a wide receiver one, which is not his natural position. So it may take a little while for him to get used to it. Um, if I was the Titans, I would personally put uh, Corey Davis over there and then put Eric Decker as wide receiver two and then play Richard Matthews in like five wide sets, stuff like that. But if they put him in as wide receiver one, just expect it to be a little slow at the beginning. But he'll he'll make it. He's going to have, I think, probably like 1,100, 1,200 yards, maybe like nine, ten touchdowns. He's going to have a really good year. He is going to be, like I said, the best wide receiver two in the league because he is. <laughs> Yeah, I think that would probably put him in a definitely a top 10 season. So that's oh, a yeah. pretty bold prediction. I like it. So let's talk about the other receiving option, Delaney Walker. 65 receptions, 800 yards, seven touchdowns. He finished fifth in tight end scoring and tied for third in touchdowns. He's turning 33 this season. I think Walker is more than capable of another top five season. Um, I like the Titans offense, and I think Marietta will get the ball to Walker even more this season, which increases his floor each week. Personally, I draft around tight end seven, um, but... I, like I said, man, I am just expecting big things out of this offense, so I wouldn't be surprised if he outscores where you draft him. What do you think, Ryan? Uh, typically, I, I go with like a zero tight end policy, so I usually wait to the later rounds to get a tight end. But if you want a guy with like solid upside and like good production, Delaney Walker is your guy. Um, I was a little worried because they have so many mouths to feed on this offense. Like, how are they going to get him the ball? And then I realized they're probably just going to let Marietta throw it like 30, 40 times a game. So I'm not too worried about it. You can always count on Delaney Walker to break off like a 70-yard like re- reception for a touchdown. Like, he he's a man. Yeah, no kidding. So let's talk about the running game. DeMarco Murray, 1,287 yards, 4.4 yards per carry, nine uh, rushing touchdowns in the receiving game, 53 receptions, 377 yards, and three touchdowns. He finished fifth in running back scoring and has looked very healthy. You know, while this offense uh, likely is likely improving, I see more situations where this team is up and needs the to run the ball to put away the game. So I like Murray's workload, which includes a decent role in the receiving game. Personally, I draft him around running back four or five behind uh, DJ Bell and Melvin Gordon. Um, I, I honestly, you know, with the it's, the Bills are starting to worry me. Uh, that's kind of why I say four or five uh, between him and LaShawn McCoy. You know, I, I just think that the Bills are starting to worry me that they're trying to tank. And so they might not put LaShawn McCoy out there as much as he should. But as term, in terms of DeMarco Murray, though, you pretty much have to handcuff him with Derrick Henry, who will be lying there in wait should anything happen. So 
What do you think of DeMarco Murray's uh, season, and how high would you draft him, Ryan? Um, I I don't know if I'd go five or six. I, he's more like seven or eight to me. It just it just worries me that Derrick Henry is he's so promising, and like every time I see him, like he's very good. And I just don't understand how this backfield is going to work. I don't even know why they really drafted Henry in the first place. But if Murray succeeds and he can keep his job, he will be a fantastic quarterback or running back for your team. I'm just worried about Derrick Henry. Yeah, there's definitely, you know, concern that why would you draft him? Why or why would you run DeMarco Murray in the ground when you have such a big talented running back to also take the load off a little bit? So, I definitely agree that there's a little bit of worry that at any point Derrick Henry could slip in there and start producing a lot and they eventually just kind of go to a running back by committee sort of approach. So, my prediction for this team I think they go 11 and 5. I think this team is a massive sleeper to win a bye and compete in the playoffs. And I mean, win some, like a couple games too, and maybe potentially go to the AFC Championship. You know, with an improved offense and a soft schedule, they're, I think they're going to win the division. And I really like their chances for a bye week competing with the Raiders and obviously the, the Patriots, who are definitely going to get one. So, how, uh, how high do you have the, the Titans going this year, Ryan? Uh, since my Jets are so awful, I am officially bandwagoning with the Tennessee Titans. Um, I think that they're going to go 12 and 4. And I think they're going to sweep their division. I don't think they drop a single game to the Colts, Texans, or Jaguars. The division's just that bad. Like, there is just so much disparity between the teams that this is by far clear the best team in the AFC South. Totally agree. All right. So. I think that's enough for the NFL. Really quick, just to give you a reminder to join the Eliminator Challenge. The Eliminator Challenge is very simple. All you do is you pick a team to win each week. The only rule is you cannot choose that team twice. We are having a listener league for the Eliminator Challenge to join. Just simply search on Google for the ESPN Eliminator Challenge. Enter the group name, the BBB Podcast. It's a public group, so you don't need a password, and you can join at any time. All right, so that's enough NFL talk. I wanted to bring in Ryan to also talk about the Mayweather-McGregor fight. Um, we're going to talk a little bit different kind of stuff. First thing I want to talk about is you know, just this psychological warfare that's been going on. Uh, this fight, more than, more than most, it just seemed that they talk a lot of smack, and I like it. Uh, obviously, you know, it's supposed to get all the fans riled up. Not sure if they really mean it, but I personally like it. So one of the things, you know, that I just like seeing, you know, McGregor goes as far to wear a CJ Watson jersey, who is allegedly the man that Mayweather's girlfriend was texting when he hit her. You know, Mayweather approaches another fan, tells him, mark my words, he won't be saying that, which you usually don't see from Mayweather. You know, McGregor saying he won't last, uh, Floyd won't last two rounds. You got Mayweather saying Connor won't go the distance. Um what do you think so far, Ryan, about this psychological warfare? And honestly, who do you think has won to this point? Uh, honestly, it's 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 what we expected. This is boxing. It's all theatrics. I mean, I remember Mike Tyson doing the same thing. He would just do the most ridiculous stuff like that. Um, I, I don't know. It's a little childish in a way, but it does get people to pay $100 to watch the fight. So, you know, it has its plus and minuses. I think uh, McGregor is probably doing the most. I don't know if he's winning it to say that, but he's definitely trying to get into Mayweather's head. Is it working? Probably not, but he's definitely making a show of it. 
Yeah. All right. So the other thing I want to talk about is just why this fight has gotten so big. Obviously, you know, the transition from a UFC fighter or boxer is a big reason. But to me, what I really think stands out is that this vill- this bat- this fight has no heroes. It's a battle of two villains, two people that just people don't like, which you honestly don't really see in sports. You know, usually in whether even in other matches and, you know, in basketball or in football, the, the crowd usually likes to associate one team as the villain, one team as the hero or the good guys. But in this, it's really two bad guys. You got one guy who's convicted of domestic abuse who is known to hit women um, aggressively, which people hate. You have one who has said racist remarks to the opponent. Um, you know, just something we just don't normally see every day. And I think that's why this fight has gotten so big. You know, you got you, uh, a, you how, somehow a UFC fighter was able to pull what could be the greatest boxer of all time out of retirement for what could be the biggest payday of his career, but also could put a single loss on his record, albeit unlikely. So why do you think this fight has gotten so big, Ryan? Um, I'm going to say because it's just boxing has something to offer now. Like it's lost its popularity in years, like just like baseball, but boxing in like the 30s and 40s, even up to like the 50s and 60s, like it was a big deal. It was like America's sport, like besides like baseball. But I it just gives like people, especially young people, the people that grow up with like UFC, like our generation, it gives them something to get back into boxing. It's just making it cool again. And it's a little gimmicky, yeah, whatever. But I mean this has so much more like excitement to it than like uh, than a Mayweather Pacquiao fight. That's probably the last big one. And before that, I probably couldn't think of a good fight since like Mayweather and Oscar De La Hoya. And that was like in like 2011. Yeah. So this is like a big ticket fight. And I think it's nice that boxing is giving the people something exciting to look at. Yeah, I mean, and the it's definitely going to I think pay up on that at least in terms of the fighters so mayweather is expected to make somewhere between 100 to 400 million dollars uh hopefully he can pay off those taxes now to the irs so and then connor himself is expected to make at least 100 million you know this belt even that goes with it is just ridiculous it's the most expensive belt in history uh the winner gets a uh, belt that has 3360 diamonds 1.5 kilos of 24 karat gold made of crocodile skin from Italy. This thing looks ridiculous. Um, you know, this fight is just something unbelievable. You know, McGregor's sparring partner, Pauli Maggiani, I think that's how you say his last name. You know, he's got a video of him getting knocked down, which sent him over the edge, and he started slamming uh, McGregor's camp, saying he was disrespectful. He's like, it's all about the ego with Connor, which I think it could be true. I really think that Connor um, is big about his ego. Uh, and then so it pushed him over and then they even got into like a little, you know, scrap at the end of a like a press conference, I believe. So that was that was also pretty interesting. So but in terms of like I was saying before, that both these guys are just villains that people just don't like them. Ryan, who do you think is the bigger villain in this fight? Uh, it, it's hard to say. They're both pretty awful and I'm, I'm not a huge fan of either of them. I mean, I respect them as fighters, but as people, I would pretty much stay clear um, this fight, it's just, it reminds me a lot of the juxtaposition between, like, the George Foreman-Muhammad Ali fight to where both of those guys were, like, pretty well-respected guys. I mean, Foreman was not as lovable as Ali was, but they were still good guys. Like, people loved both of them. Here, it's like, um, who do you hate less? I would say that McGregor would probably be the villain in this scenario just because 
Um, boxing is such like a hierarchical like sport. You go in as a kid, and then you become an amateur, and then you become a pro am, and then you become a semi pro, and then you go to the undercard fight, and then maybe if you're like one of the hundred best fighters in the world, you can make it to a pay per view. But it's just like you got to put in your time. You got just like putting your time in the gym. You have to put your time into the sport. And the fact that McGregor is just coming over here and a sport that's like kind of unrelated, um, like not boxing per se and pretending like he just owns the place i'd probably say that mcgregor's the bigger villain yeah that has definitely uh angered a lot of uh ufc fighters and boxers alike who believe that connor just by being very flashy and while he did earn his respect in the ufc he kind of uh jumped his way into a massive payday bout that you know other boxers will have been working their entire lives for so you know, you could definitely see how a lot of fighters just don't respect that and don't like that this has basically become a circus show. So, all right, Ryan, what is your prediction for this fight? I had Stairs give his time to get yours. Uh, I see this fight going one of two ways. The first way is that uh, he takes it a little seriously. First round, not so much. He's going to go in there, try to swing from the fences, try to get the knockout right off the bat. And then maybe round two, he can uh, just kind of get a little more level head, to, like, like take deep breaths, find options, find holes, and maybe he can make it to the end of the fight. That one's probably not likely, though. The second way that he's going to do it is he's going to go out, go there for the knockout. He's going to be swinging, tire himself out. Mayweather is just going to be the technician that he is, just sits back, let himself punch him out, probably knock him out in round nine, I believe. That's probably, that's whenever fatigue hits uh, boxers the most, especially uh, McGregor, who hasn't had a whole lot of experience with this. I could see a knockout in round nine. That'd probably be my prediction. Yeah, you know, so I gave mine on Tuesday, but just after reading so much stuff and uh, watching so many uh, people talk about it, I kind of wanted to amend it a little bit. I think there's like a 60% chance, just like you're talking about. I think Connor goes in right off the bat, is really aggressive, tries to, you know, keep an up tempo, and he pretty much just wears himself out. And Floyd's perfect at getting fighters to just fight themselves out of a out of a match. Um, and so while I don't see Floyd knocking him out in any scenario, pretty much, I do see Mayweather, uh, Mayweather just popping him, you know, getting getting him started early. And then by the ninth or tenth round, Connor could be pretty bloody. And I see like a technical knockout around the ninth or tenth round. I see him pretty, pretty exhausted. Yeah. Well, just like you were saying around then, I think there's a 20 percent chance that, you know, you know, Mayweather is 40 something years old now or 40, I believe. Uh, there is a decent chance that he just comes out and, you know, while he's still talented, he just, you know, he, he's a little less in shape. Um, you know, someone, they released his schedule and get this, the, the day before he's supposed to spend all night at his strip club that he owns. I believe it's, uh, uh, owning girls or something ridiculous like that, the name, but so, you know, you can tell he might not think this fight, take this fight as seriously as he has the other ones. So I think there's a 20% chance that McGregor can go the distance, but even in that scenario, I see it being a unanimous decision uh, for Mayweather. The last 10%, just for fun, Connor could get lucky. He could get a, a good shot in. He does have a lot of size on him. 10% chance that he just, you know, catches him in like the early rounds and uh, knocks him out. You know, they have to get down to, a believe, like 154, but Connor's going to, bully- the second he gets off that weighing table, he's going to start drinking water eat food, get right back up to the, uh, you know, round 170 or so where he usually weighs. Floyd probably will come down to like 147, 149. So I think there's going to be a pretty sizable uh, difference in weight 
Obviously, Connor's about an inch taller. He uh, has a two-inch longer reach. So he's just a bigger guy in, in overall, and he's you know 11 years younger. You know, it, you know, it's for everyone always saying there's a fighter's chance with Floyd, you know, this actually might be the one time where it actually it's a decent chance. I mean, he might just, uh, he might just be a little too young for Floyd. So, but I still don't see it likely. So that's my prediction. Anything else you want to talk about Ryan before we get out of here? Uh, no. All right. So for Ryan, I am Joey Morales. Follow the podcast at the BBB podcast on iTunes at the BBB pod on Twitter, please send us tweets and uh, topics and questions. We would love to talk about them on the podcast. Uh, leave us with a five-star review and how to do that. You basically just go to your podcast tab on your phone, click, click on it, click on the right side, search tab, enter the podcast name, the BBB podcast uh, in the middle tab. It should say reviews. Just click that. And then it just should say, write a review, leave a five-star review for us. We would appreciate it very much for Ryan. I'm Joey. Have a nice day, folks. <laughs>